Welcome to Core Struction, a show about the missions, activities, and employees of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Tulsa District. Today we have Russell Wyckoff, who's a senior hydraulic engineer in the Dam Safety Production Center. The Dam Safety Production Center actually falls under the Southwestern Division, but it's located here at the Tulsa District. Russell provides oversight of technical hydrology and hydraulic studies in the areas of dam and levee safety, construction, and operations. He also engages in USACE modeling, mapping, and consequences at the production center. He leads a team of engineers who develop dam breach modeling inundation areas for all USACE dams for emergency action plans and consequences. Welcome to the show, Russell. Thank you. So, Russell, how long have you been here at the Tulsa District? I've been at Tulsa District for 35 years, actually. Um, this was uh, my, my, my first job right out of college, and I've been here ever since, uh, all in Tulsa District. So, um, you, start off, you didn't start off with a dam safety production center, I wouldn't think, right? No, I started off in hydraulics branch, uh, came in as overhire, uh, actually, after the 1986 flood that happened in Tulsa. Hired right after that in 87, uh, a lot of work that was generated due to that flooding and that situation, a lot of flood protection work that was being done. And uh, then over the years, about uh, 2014, transitioned into the production center where uh, we're do still doing a lot of uh, dam safety type work and elements like that. But uh, all of it was in H&H &H and in the H&H &H water resources field, including what I'm doing now. So um, you... You said that you said you 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 started about right after pretty much right after the eighty six flood or a little bit after the eighty six flood. Where did you go to college? I went to college at Oklahoma State University. It was actually my degree was in agricultural engineering, and when I was studying, uh, I really was more interested, at least I thought, in uh, ag products and power and designing of tractors and power systems, but. The ag engineering curriculum there is actually really heavy in water resources, and I kind of took a liking to that. And when I graduated, then that kind of uh, fit well coming over to the Corps of Engineers. I didn't know a lot about the Corps of Engineers at that particular time, but came over and did some interviews, and they had some openings, and it sounded like a, a great opportunity and something exciting and new that I, you know, uh, I thought that I should follow up with. Were you, you were a young engineer, right? Out, so you're, you're brand new, pretty much engineer right out of college. And that's that's right. For the yes. Corps. Uh -huh. And there had just been this massive flood in 86. Um, was that kind of nervous? Did that make you a little bit nervous about like, because you, you probably saw people like uh, Greg Eastap at the time on TV or whatever in talking about, you know, the flood at the, um, during the um, press conferences and everything that they were having. Was it was it kind of wow? I'm really this is going to be a, a a challenging environment. Yes, it was a little bit because it's exactly like you said. Um, you saw the news reports of what was going on, and then when I got in here, and they said, "Well, you're going to be working with some of this," and there was some after action um, work that was going on at that time as well, which was fast pace and short duration. So there was a lot of activity, and it was centered around that, but it also centered around development of some new um, projects that were going in, kind of like the Mingo Creek project, which uh, was one of the first things that I actually worked on when I got into Tulsa District. And that lasted for well, about eight to 10 years before we got it all constructed. But no, it was a little bit, uh, I'll, I'll say it was exciting, which was good. Uh, and uh, 
but, but a little bit kind of like throwing yourself into the fire and a little bit. But there was a lot of support there. The people were great. It was a, a very a good group of folks that uh, were technically sound. And, you know, I think it was a good learning experience from learning to see how they manage those activities from a fast-paced engineering standpoint. The 86 flood, that was the holiday flood, right? The Memorial Day flood? It was, was, yes. It? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because that was more of a stormwater runoff issue. Right. This and that's, was a, that's what led to Mingo Creek, right? Exactly. It was a huge cell that, that dumped 15 to 20 inches over the Mingo Creek Basin, which is a pretty small basin, fast runoff. And, yes, it was very dangerous. Uh, I think, you know, very huge damages, killed, killed a few people, actually. So, you know, a flash flood environment, which is a lot different than what we've seen on the last few floods where we have notifications from from dam releases and all but still probably even more de devastating in some ways just because of the flash flood nature yeah I, I guess like after that event um my my understanding was that with when the core and, and worked with when the core and the state and the city worked together to try to address that issue following the mingo creek flood they um once the work was done, it was like one of the best or one of the model storm stormwater runoff systems in the United States, I think, right? That's right. Um, that coupled with, you know, what the city of Tulsa has done and in other parts of the city, too, actually has uh, yielded them a, a great uh, FEMA rating, one of the best in the nation as far as flood control. And, you know, their part in what was done, at least in the Mingo Creek what basin and what we were involved with directly was was uh, instrumental in, in all that was done. They wanted to have nothing but uh, a Class A project and the money that they put in to, you know, accelerate and to make things better from what the government would even put into it was 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 really good. So we had a, a, a great sponsor from the local uh, county and even the state level to make sure that they had a Class A project. When did you, I guess we'll go backwards a little bit, when did you, when did you know you wanted to be an engineer? Yeah, the, you know, that was, uh, I haven't really thought about that too much, but it's a good question because uh, I was actually working as a small engines mechanic and then I turned over to a diesel mechanic in college while I was going through college. But I think all through that time, I had, like I say, an interest in uh, tractors and power, and I was kind of in the agricultural industry. Uh, area as far as where I was working at that time at an implement dealership working on things like that. So the agricultural part of it kind of came out. And um, along with that, I don't know, I just kind of like to know kind of how things worked. And I saw things, I thought, wow, you know, if we could just change this or that, we could make a better system. And I thought, well, well that kind of goes into the engineering part of it. Uh, and, and so when I started school, I thought, well, that was good. And um, they said, well, the engineers make a little bit more than the MECAG do. So um, I thought, well, let's try it. And it seemed to work out. So you didn't, you didn't have a, I guess it wasn't, it wasn't something where it was this really big daunting challenge idea that you brought up in your mind. It was more of a situation with, I like, I like engines. That's an engineering kind of feature and, and the math didn't didn't you didn't you weren't scared about the math and you felt comfortable with it so you, you went forward and did it right right I, I think it was more about what I thought I might like to do as far as the hands-on part of it yeah I wasn't thinking about what levels of calculus and all those theories that I was going to do and I wasn't 
taking extra classes in high school trying to prepare for it either. But, um, you know, like I say, you, you, you don't really think about those things, but you get into it and then um, it kind of comes to you. You hit a, hit a kind of a sweet spot with it and it feels right. And so I stuck with it and uh, got, got out on the four-year program. So that was good. And uh, I was, I was glad, glad I did it. It's been, um, I've enjoyed all that I do. And that's what keeping the work so um, interesting right now is because there's a wide variation of work that you know, I'm doing now. And uh, so, you know, the engineering part kind of falls even outside of what I do at the core. It's just kind of that thinking of how you look at everything that you see on a daily day, daily basis and how you approach it. Where are you from originally? Where'd you grow up? I'm actually uh, born and raised in Stillwater. So I went to Oklahoma State University. So, you know, it was cheap and had a few scholarships going there anyway from the academic side. So it worked out well. Um, I didn't feel the need to have to get away from my parents or anything at that particular time, at least not for a far away trip. So, <laughs> so that worked out well. Yeah. So do you, do you still go to the, do you still go to the football games or the, the yes. sporting events? Or? Uh -huh. I have family uh, besides my folks, my brother lives over there as well. And, and I go back frequently. I've had season tickets for a long time for, uh, for football, try to make a few basketball games. And now um, I've seen the new baseball stadium that they have which is a great place. I encourage everybody to go there and see the Cowboys. So, uh, no, it's it, it's nice going back. It, it's amazing how things have changed, um, not even over the last 35 years, but even from the first, you know, 20 years, um, how things you remember, you know, playing down a cotton field down by the river, and now that has turned into a McAllister's, you know. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, but no, I go back there frequently and, uh, and go on the campus a lot as well. Right. They say, uh, I guess it was Thomas Wolfe who said, you can never go home, but you can always go back to your university. That's right. That right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Why did you decide to come to the Corps versus anywhere else? Well, so there wasn't a huge market whenever I got out of school. Um, there wasn't a huge market for engineers? Uh, for, for engineers. Really? Um, I, I, did, I, did have, uh, I did have a few interviews with different elements. One of them was in air conditioning and some some other, you know, high rise building uh elements, you know, and I thought, well, I'm not I'm not really sure how I got the cut on some of those, but <laughs> um but the, the deal is that through all those interviews, in some ways I was kind of glad that I didn't get chosen because I thought I couldn't see myself doing that type of work. Uh even though it all kind of felt, you know, in that realm of engineering. And so the folks that were hiring, they were just looking for engineers, not specific engineers. So with the water resources background that I had there, when I came here, I don't know, it just seemed to fit. People were nice. It was an inviting atmosphere. And uh, I felt like, you know, I think that was a, a great fit for me. And it just felt right at the time. What do you do? You're, um, you, you. In your current role with the Dam Safety Production Center, can you talk mm -hmm. about what you do versus maybe what you were doing when you first arrived? I guess you said you worked in hydraulics and hydrology originally. And so right. you, were you a water manager back then? You were I, I wasn't in water management. I was on the uh, what they call the hydraulic design section. So okay. um, we did a lot of design elements. We, we designed a lot of features for flood control. I actually ended up doing some design for some of the spillways that we have, like at uh, Canton. Uh, the rehab oh, yeah. at uh, Tin Killer and Skytook. I worked on 
all those design teams for that. Um, transitioning over to the production center was kind of as, uh, as I'll call it the modern age of dam safety started in the, the kind of the early mid 2000s. And so I was working with doing risk assessments uh, on dams nationally, you know, even outside of Tulsa district and transitioning to the production center just kind of uh, was about, about looking at dam safety as a whole everywhere. And, and so I still do, we, we still do design, the production center does do design and construction based on risk assessments of dams all the country will come up with effects. And, and our group has been fortunate to lead several of those, most notably right now, the one at Louisville, we're doing some rehab down there. We're uh, overseeing that. Um, but um, also at Pine Creek, rehab down there, the conduit, uh, uh, did a lot of de design work on that. And, uh, so it, it's it's kind of a kind of the next level, I think, of flood protection. But I think it's interesting from the standpoint of you get to see how professionals across the USACE has been approaching this, even outside of the Tulsa district, um, which is kind of interesting. And I must say that probably what I've seen within the Tulsa district, we have some of the, the finest folks in here to work with and that are most knowledgeable of anywhere that I've seen in the country. Uh, as far as it goes with for dam safety and how to approach it. And so I think I've been fortunate to kind of help kind of push that direction. So I'm glad we have a production center here in Tulsa. That's uh, not something that every district or even every division has to this point. So I think that's a testament to the the talent that we have here, you know, within the Tulsa and the, the Southwest Division area. You get to travel around a little bit, look at different dams and see the difference in the way dams in other parts of the country were designed, right? That's so right. So how different, I mean, what's, do you, is it, is it, is it interesting? Is there, or is there like a lot of difference in the, like we think of a dam, we just think of dam, right? But each dam, they're designed for specific geological and, and hydrological um, situations. So how different is it maybe say like, the eastern part of the country versus this part of the country. Right. Well, it's it's all different, but yet it's the same. You know, it's all about flood control. But I think the difference comes where you have the different configurations of gates and structures uh, and how to operate those. And and that's the main thing, because there's some, some locations where, you know, you'll have to have um, fish passage. And things like that. Well, you know, we don't usually have that here, so that's something new and innovative. And uh, there's a lot of uh, things on the coast where you have to do some uh, some coastal management features of even lakes and some some backwater areas. But um, it, it's just kind of the configuration. You know, some of these dams might have been built in maybe the 40s. We have a few of those as well versus dams that were built in the 70s. Is there's quite a bit of difference between the assumptions that go into that as far as runoff, the approach to runoff, and how how they may operate. Even though, like, say we're 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 all about maximizing flood control is is how it works. You also have navigation that plays in there. Fortunately, we have navigation here on projects that don't have navigation. Certainly, that's a whole different operational aspect because they don't have to maintain minimum flows and and have to worry about trying to get like pool levels down to get traffic going again on the on the navigation system. So 
Um, it's uh, it's very interesting to see you know how those have been configured over the years based on all those different challenges they had at the time when they designed them. Yeah, you don't. I mean, there's just it's just so there's so many different I guess configurations, right? Of dams and mm-hmm. um, when um, you also you also do some. Um, well, how, you've you've probably been on a lot of PDTs, right? Project delivery teams, mm-hmm. and, and where you look at a, uh, you study something, or you study a particular area or, or project, mm-hmm. and then you make a recommendation about what you believe, based upon that study, is is the best way forward. Oh yeah. Um, and you talked about Canton with the surcharge, like that's the, you did some stuff with the surcharge gates, and right. Right. How, how how do those design ideas come down? Is that something that you as a team say, hey, we'd like to try these surcharge gate, these surcharge, um, I guess they call them, sur- no, not surcharge gates. What's the term? Um, <laughs> well, fuse gates. Fuse gates. That's right. right. I, I'm using surcharge. The fuse gates. Uh-huh. Excuse me. Um, so is that something that it's somewhere else you've seen it or there's there's data about it being used like how how do you because there there aren't a whole lot of new dams being built right. at least not in the united mm-hmm. states so something like a fuse gate um and you can explain what that is and sure and, but why would you make a recommendation like something like that where would that come from right so working with the fuse gates that that wasn't necessarily what we were looking to do when we started the pdt got together and we had issues with uh, with the PMF inflow coming off of Canton. What we is, had to come up with what a is PMF, system. PMF inflow? Oh, I'm sorry. Problem maximum flood. So okay. over the years, the, you know, that, that anticipated maximum inflow has risen enough to where we had a, a dangerous situation out there, potentially, if you would get a PMF type event. And so we have to, in order to reduce the risk and get it within the current guidance, we had to come up with a way to uh, to pass that flow. They have constraints to go with it. And this is all the PDD discussion. It's not a hydraulics issue or us coming up with a plan. This was definitely a PDT of the full team was in compliance about coming up with, you know, these several options. We, we came up with numerous options that we were looking at and evaluating based on a set of criteria, whether it be, uh, you know, potential consequences downstream, upstream, raising the pools, raising the dam, coming up with new configurations of, of gates. But, you know, when a, a project like Canton's been there for so long, you, you have issues like you don't want to put additional flow down the system that they haven't seen in the past. And and because that impacts things that, you know, in ecosystems as well as, you know, flood situations. So we started looking at some, some innovative ideas, doing a little, you know, quote, brainstorming on this. And we, we did, there were some, some dams overseas that had incorporated the fuse gate system. And so we started looking into that a little bit. And um, that, that that system is kind of designed such that you can still go ahead and maintain your operation through the, the full variation of the pool. And the only time that those would ever operate would be within essentially when you're just essentially right at that PMF level. So it had an advantage from that standpoint where you don't have to open gates real early in the system and, you know, have additional flow. So as that pr- progressed, we, we talked to some folks, did some model testing, 
um, at Erdick and some different places on that um, to try to see, you know, if that would fit. We did it. Uh, and at the time, it was ended up being like the largest uh, fuse gates in the world at that time when those were done. The ones that can't. Right, the ones that can't. Now, that that's... That they've built others since, but at the time we could brag a little bit on that. Uh, so that was that was kind of a fun, but it was it was a team decision, and it was one that we did have a little bit of background to go on as far as you know uh, some test data and all that had been done as far as uh, uh, that goes. None of those had actually went through a system and fully went through the full level of you know coming up and then tipping and doing all the things that they're supposed to do, but. We, we felt confident based on the model testing, the engineering design behind it after we did our own computations on it, that it was going to be a, a, an interesting and, you know, it seemed like a very viable uh, solution to what, what we were needing at Canton. Can you explain how fuse gates work for people who, who may not sure. understand the what right. we're talking about here? Right. So essentially you, you just build a, on, at least on Kent, we built an offset spillway away from the current structure that we had. And in that spillway, we just put up essentially these fuse gates that end up being a solid concrete wall that holds the gate back. And then we have prescribed levels of, actually Kenton has eight different gates. Now these gates are like 40 feet high and about 60 feet wide. So they're, they're huge masses of concrete. And so the way they work is at certain levels, when the pool gets at certain levels, a gate or a multiple gates will actually tip over and then allow flow to go through the entire section. So what it what it does is it allows you, like say, to operate the lake as normal through the normal range of pools. And only when you get to a certain level, which is, you know, near that PMF level, which you're releasing so much water downstream, you're just trying to make sure that you don't have overtopping or something catastrophic occur at the up. dam right so you'll tip one or two of those dams to alleviate it if it continues to rise you'll tip the next two and so on until all eight uh, of those gates are tipped and you have an open spillway that's releasing uh, flow downstream and that 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 basically slows down that flow right so that when you say it goes downstream it, it it's it almost creates another and I guess another pool, right? Because you've got this. Right. Well, or it's helping alleviate the rising in the pool at Canton. Because at that point, we're at what we term our max pool. And so those are meant to tip so that you don't continue to rise above your maximum pool and, and have some issues or, you know, have, have a compromise of, of the actual dam itself. Now you are putting additional release downstream. Mm -hmm. But like I say, at that point, you're already to the point where you had the normal operation is occurring and you're releasing hundreds of thousands of CFS downstream already. And there certainly uh, is awareness and there's flooding occurring downstream that, uh, so you're adding to it, but being able to incrementally tip these then allows that rise of flow downstream to have smaller increments. So that's less likely to catch someone by surprise or cause additional consequences other than, you know, having a whole set of gates or a, a super wide gate open and then release this new flood wave downstream. So it, uh, certainly a benefit of doing multiple gate uh, tippings like that. What What are some of the other projects you've worked on over the years? Well, um, the other 
One was at uh, Ten Killer Spillway. Built an auxiliary spillway there. Um, it was a gated structure, much like the original structure, and uh, we did have an approach channel built it just right adjacent to the original one. There was some additional modeling that had to be done with uh, with two D elements and and trying to make sure that we could feed that. And that's that's actually been a really nice structure. That one hasn't been operated other than just to test and all fortunately uh, but um, that was a very interesting inter interesting project just because that was the first time that we kind of utilized uh, some some 2d type modeling here and then uh, also at skytook rehab on that one was essentially that was a highly erodible spillway that had seen some erosion over the years and so essentially it was just kind of concrete lining just to kind of help protect the and stabilize that spillway some, but it had uh, multiple levels of uh, of how it flowed down off the hill. We just didn't take it as a straight. We tried to utilize the topography to kind of help dissipate some of the energy throughout that system as it goes through. And that one was unique because we did create a, uh, I'll call it a tailwater pool on the downstream side uh, to help uh, with that final, final jump and dissipate the energy down there, which is kind of unique because that, that that outflow really doesn't maintain much tailwater down there. So we haven't ever had spillway flows there as well. We have been within um, a foot or two of that spillway here just a few years ago, actually. Weren't we in 19? I think we were pretty close. I think we? so, yes. And I think that was the max pool, uh, but it's never never went went over that spillway. Right. What do you What do you say is the biggest misconception maybe people have about engineering? About engineering, huh? Or about being an engineer? Well, that's kind of a hard question. Um, you, you know, I mean, engineering is kind of uh, stereotypical sometimes. You see it on TV, you know, the pocket protector and, and some of that. But, you know, engineering is not really like that at all, I think. Um, when you really start talking and getting into it, talking to the folks... You know, it's more about how they think and how they want to solve things and come up with solutions. You know, it's a, it's about that. Now, um, you know, there's a lot of smart folks, you know, that are engineers as well as in, in other fields as well. But it's it's all about what's the problem and how can we fix it. Yeah, like the. Do you ever watch the the Scott Adams Dilbert? Oh yes, uh -huh. sure. <laughs> you ever feel like ever exactly? Feel like... <laughs> yeah, there's like lots the of those stereo... cartoons up his, all over. <laughs> yeah, his characters are the are the sort of the stereotypical um, engineering the kind of idea of an engineer. But I I don't I don't know of a whole lot of engineers like that. I know a few, but uh -huh. m most engineers I've met are pretty pretty socially. They're pretty socially grounded, you know. They're I. I haven't seen too many people walking down the hall looking at the floor. Right? <laughs> no, I think uh, no, I, 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 it's definitely you're you're right on that. I mean, they're just like everybody else. You can't tell tell them much difference. I mean, <laughs> now you, you might if you talk to my wife or my kids, but <laughs> my, my college buddies were were engineering majors um, when I was in college, and and they were some of the most fun people I've ever hung out with maybe that says something about me but <laughs> but we had we had great times together and um 
Well, it, it helps when I'm putting together toys for Christmas. I know that because <laughs> nobody ever wants to read the instruction sheet but me on how to put it together. So, <laughs> and you can actually decipher it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember having when we were we were expecting our first, and my wife uh, and I went down to. We picked up some. I won't say the name of the furniture company, but you have to put their stuff together all the time. And, um, and right. I, I, after putting together the chest of drawers, that I, I told my wife, I said, I'll never do this again. I'll, <laughs> I'll pay the extra $200 for somebody to come and like put, or just to buy one that's already put together. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, that's half the fun putting it together. So. Right. For engineers, especially. Right? That's right. Um, when you say consequences, what, how, what is that? Right. So, you know, it, it ties back into dam safety again, actually. the I always refer to it to as the MMC, Modeling, Mapping, and Consequences. And that, that actually was developed back in 2009 in USACE. And that was uh, part of what came out of dam safety was that uh, all districts and divisions were creating inundation maps for EAPs, but they all looked different. And there wasn't really a true standard on how those were applied and how they were computing consequences from a dam breach. Consequences being damages, but also being life loss, which is one of the critical elements for that we use in, in evaluating risk of each dam. So, um, yeah, you could you could literally have a dam that's that's in physically worse shape than another dam, and because there's a greater population downstream of the other dam right like it, that's right it, it could have a uh the, the rating as far as it's it's a you know is going to be what lower or higher well it, it'd probably be if it's uh, good it's actually a lower rating right but, okay but yeah that's exactly why the mmc was developed um coming out of the risk management center was to get consistency with the objective the initial objective was to come up with a common set of rules to evaluate each one of the dams to try to see where they rank against each other so that we could put the money where it needed to go first. Yeah, certainly it's like you say, I mean, we, we know we have dams that have problems, but if they're out in the middle of the country and there's, you know, no sizable consequence or life loss potential, then if you have one in the middle of Dallas or or Tulsa or somewhere where a breach is going to, you know, take, you know, uh, thousands of lives, then those rank quite differently as far as uh, where the money should go to repair those. And that's where the MMC came into to respect. So we have completed the whole portfolio of dams, which is like 752 dams within USACE, uh, and have those ranked and the risk management center then is evaluating based on that. And it's about creating the inundation maps for development of the EAP, but but it's also about, you know, providing information, like I said, for the ranking. Also, we work with, you know, Homeland Security uh, and how they evaluate and look at each one of those dams about where their vulnerabilities are and, and how that could impact, you know, critical infrastructure within the USAs as well as within the whole United States. When you talk about inundation, is... Is it is it is it essentially saying what's going to flood or what's going to get wet? How how would you describe inundation? Right. So I'll call it inundation. Uh, looking at a map, you know, it's uh, where where blue. Where's the water flooding? Now it floods at various depths too. 
and and the map sets that we have now show that because that's a very important thing. If you're right on the edge of an inundation area, uh, you know, that's where essentially where the depth is zero, right? But we know that, you know, maybe 100 foot from you, the depth may be 10 or 12 feet, you know, or maybe at the rooftop of a house. So so that's important. So we, we, we look at full extent, but we also look at depth. And, and the depth, the velocity, other hydraulic features within that uh, that inundation computation that are used to to come up with estimates for consequences and life loss and how people how can people get out how fast can they get out there's a lot of things that go into it to try to do that computation what is what is the most exciting part about your job i mean obviously there's a lot of anal analysis that you're doing and you're mm -hmm. looking at at data and maps and what, what's most exciting about it or enjoyable? I'll just say enjoyable, actually. Well, I mean, I think it's kind of both is that uh, is that there's just so many things that you can work on that the work is diverse. Um, I know it may sound monotonous or if you're just doing inundation maps daily, daily, but then like I say, every project that you work on is so different that you, you have to approach it differently. Even though you're creating the same product, it's still different in its own way and it's exciting. Plus the fact that some days we we will get requests from some overseas, you have hurricanes, a lot of things like that that we will work with to um, to come up with inundations or uh, you know impacts for those areas to try to give them estimates so they know where to evacuation should should take place and things like that. So those short-term fast-paced elements are actually, you know, exciting. And not everybody wants to do that, but I think that those are exciting, at least on the short short term. Nobody wants to do that, you know, week after week after week. But um, but certainly I, I think those types of things make it exciting just working on different types of projects and, and different time frames. Yeah. Is there a dam in USACE, which you'd say is probably your favorite, like stru structurally, or is there one that you you just think is more impressive than any others? Wow, you know, that's uh, that's pretty interesting. I've I, I've worked with with so many, but um, but I'd say uh, Bluestone Dam in West Virginia is a pretty interesting one, just from the aspect of it being built like in the twenties, and it it has some very unique features, but. But I'll say even that uh, you know Keystone Dam is actually kind of unique in its own way as well, especially with the population that it has downstream, and it's it's just a very interesting dam, and you'll actually see Keystone and the Arkansas River and all these elements in in a lot of publications that that have been done because it's actually been used and this basin's been used quite quite a time for pilot studies uh, within USACE for. The MMC as well as you know risk evaluations too. Oh wow, I had no, I had yeah. no idea. Hmm? So it's it's one of those go to right. go to uh, structures uh -huh. for hydrology and hydraulics. Yes. So you uh when you were when you were preparing your pre interview stuff, you were you were asked about a I guess to provide a quote, and you provided a quote from Theodore Roosevelt about believe you can and you're halfway there. That's right. <laughs> why, why that quote? Well, I've thought about thought that for for many years because uh, you know it, it it's very cliche in a way. Uh, yet 
but but if you don't have any type of vision or think that you can do it or you don't believe in yourself at all, there's really no way you're going to get there. So you, you have to have that first because that's what's going to give you the drive to do the things you need to do to exceed or reach your goal. And, you know, so I, I don't know. I just read that the first time. I don't, I don't even remember where I saw that first. It was like in high school sometime. Probably was doing some uh, some study that I probably was interested in much and and saw that and I thought, wow, that's you know that's really cool. And so I've just kind of adopted that and I, I still think it still applies today. I mean, I still have have goals that uh, I want to to attain, and I'm thinking, well, you know, if I'm going to get there, I'm going to have to believe I can do it and set a time timetable and try to get there it's interesting how some 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 quotes will speak to speak to us more than any than than others you know whether they're well known or right. I, I wasn't i wasn't actually i mean that that quote sort of speaks for itself but i, mm-hmm. I wasn't actually familiar with that quote mm-hmm. it seems like something teddy teddy roosevelt would have said though definitely <laughs> yeah um what what have I not asked you that I should have probably asked you in this interview? <laughs> wow, yeah, I I don't know. Um, Was there a topic you were thinking? You know, I hope I get to talk about this, and he didn't even ask it. He didn't cover it. <laughs> There's usually something like that. Yeah, I I don't think so. I mean, uh, I think. Uh, when when I was thinking of of my career, you know, since being here for what thirty five years in March, and I I think back, I I really think it's about the people, you know, that make this fun, that make it exciting, that make the projects good. All those questions that you asked, I still think it comes back to the people. And so I've worked with a lot of people across the country, you know, working on all these different dams, and um, you know. You, you certainly don't see the government worker uh, cliche, you know, on that, you know. I mean, the the uh, the people that I've seen in the federal government are, you know, some of the finest and uh, most technically sound and eager. You know, they all want to do a good job. They want to do it efficiently and they want to do it right. And I've seen that in all areas, not just in engineering, but the people I deal with that do admin all the way, you know, to... Uh, uh, to the executive office, I think, have that same vision now. And and I'd say over the course of my career, I've seen that get better. Really? Yes, I've seen that 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 get better. Um, I know that when I started in Tulsa District right now, we're about half as many people that we were when I started in 87. And I think about the work and the products that go out now, and I'm like, well, they're they're tenfold of what was being produced you know, 35 years ago. That and, took more people to do. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, and <laughs> we're doing it with half the people. We're doing it with half the people. Right. And, you know, certainly there's, uh, uh, you know, computers and all that to go with it. But there's also, you know, uh, folks that want to do work and they want to do it right. And, you know, they have fun doing it. And I don't know that many people that, you know, are complaining about being here. It's an exciting job. And they... Uh, yeah, so I think it's you know I I would recognize that it's it's the people of the Corps of Engineers you know that make this a good job you know for me and probably for other people as well. So in your in your thirty five years almost or or more here you you've seen a lot of people 
new people come in and you've seen mm-hmm. some people leave for someone who is is graduating college and they're young engineer and they're considering their career path what advice would you have for for the young engineer who's considering a, a career somewhere yeah well you know i've i've actually given that to a few people and it kind of varies to kind of it but it always comes back to you know you're going to have to find something that you like to do make sure it's something to do now the first year or two here's the deal you're not going to know what you really like and what you really want to do until you start doing it so i said you've got to you got to be open you're going to have to go there but then you're going to have to find and think about is that what i want to do and then if you do then you're going to have to try to find a way to 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 motivate that thing that you do to make it unique and make it exciting and, and then build on it, you know, within, within that community. But um, you got to be open at first, but then you got to make sure that it's fun, you know, and make sure that the people you're going to work with are going to be fair and, and, and all. And I think, you know, coming into, to you say, so, I mean, that, you know, there's, there's hardly anywhere that's going to, where you're going to be provided the resources to excel when you talk about, you know, training and the various levels of uh, products that we, we do as far as engineering goes, uh, everything from, you know, pre to construction, you know, so we do it all here. So there's really not something that you you, you can't do here, whether it's mechanical, uh, hydraulic or structural. And like I say, we go all the way from design to construction. Yeah, you do get a lot of opportunities to branch out and explore different disciplines or areas within disciplines and, and mm-hmm. working for the for the core right exactly now i made a decision i guess i guess it was kind of kind of a a, a deliberate decision when i was working in h and i had opportunities to go to some other areas but i don't know i was really liking it and the work was diverse and i said well i'm gonna stick with it and then as i stuck with it like I said, I've been in H&H branch my whole career, so I've done, you know, H&H is all I've done. But doing that has allowed me to kind of become more of a, you know, an expert in that area here. And uh, and so that's a, a afforded good things for me. And and others, you know, like to, to move around and you have that flexibility. That's good. It's good to be well-rounded. Um, so, you know, you can do it either way and you can still excel, you know, within uh, – uh, within the core. Well, Russell, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk to us and take time out of your day. You all are very busy, especially in this this current era. Thank you for joining us for Core Structure. Core Structure is a production of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Public Affairs Office. This episode is brought to you by the Dam Safety and Production Center of the Southwestern Division. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day.